A dog barks when his master is attacked. I would be a coward if I saw that God's truth is attacked and yet would remain silent. John Calvin. Telling a woman that she can't be an elder is a nonsense rule. If they claim to be in the body, we let them have it. Donald Trump is going to win in 2020 by an absolute landslide. Because the New Testament is utter horse <laughs> It's created by a bishop and an emperor. That's a fact. That's like established religious fact. Sawing is a blessing from God to make you rich. It's Jesus like a lottery ticket. The Lord spoke to my heart. Then very few times I've ever heard God be this articulate with me. And I'm telling you word for word, these words came into my heart. I'm not asking you to witness me. I'm asking you to brush his hair. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to The Master's Dog, episode 129. I'm your host, Norm, The Master's Dog Dunham, a.k.a. The Evangelical Norm. So The Master's Dog is a podcast where I deal with false doctrines, false teachers, false uh, prophets, you name it. If they're out there and they are attacking God's truth, then... I bark, just like the John Calvin quote at the beginning of the introduction video. If God's truth is attacked, I would be a coward if I remained silent. So as the master's dog, I spend a lot of time barking as these people come and attack uh, the truth of God's word. So this started out, the podcast started out as faith and beliefs refuted. I started this this particular podcast to deal with the guys over at Saints Unscripted, which is formerly Three Mormons, a podcast, very popular podcast on YouTube. And they started a segment called Faith and Beliefs. And it's the only scripted part of Saints Unscripted. So do with that what you will. So David Snell is the guy that does every one of these episodes. They don't switch them out. Apparently he's their their main theology guy i don't know since quaku left they rely on david he's kind of the as they're all young but he's like i guess the leader he's i don't know so he does all of these episodes they are scripted they are they started out with the lds articles of faith and that's why i wanted to uh react to them because i wanted to show how the articles of faith did not line up with mainstream theology then after they did all 13, they continued on with other episodes dealing with doctrine and so on. So I said, I will respond to every one of them. There's been a few that I didn't really want to respond to that just seemed like they were kind of pointless. Uh, so one or two of them, I actually just threw a screenshot up as I dealt with another video and just said, here's last week's, go find their video. This is why I didn't really feel like it was even worthy of a full video response, but um just a, a comment in the in that moment. So, um, sorry, I'm getting a little error message of some kind uh, that I've never seen before. Uh, updating the the software before I right before I do a podcast is really an irritating thing. So, do true to my commitment, I have at least responded to everyone. I haven't played the whole video, but every one of these videos that they have done, I have given some kind of response to it, even if it is. This is pointless and meaningless. Today's is another one of those that seem to be pointless and meaningless. So we are back to the roots of this podcast, responding to the guys over at Saints Unscripted, particularly David Snell, <clears throat> excuse me, 
And this week he is there. They've made a commitment this month. One of the things that is a, a big criticism for uh, the LDS church is Christmas is always seems to be more about Joseph Smith than Jesus. Joseph Smith's birthday is December 23rd. You always get some kind of something about Joseph's birthday, not so much about Jesus. So this month, it seems like they're taking those criticisms to heart. And they did a video a few days ago where it was like uh, a month of Jesus. And so all of their podcasts are um, dealing with somehow Jesus. And I don't know if it's his birth or what. I don't really watch a whole lot of the other ones. Um, There is another one I'm going to take a look at that just came out. Uh, Maybe doing your response to it as well. But we'll see. So this week, David is really just going to jump into like a history history slash geography lesson um, that there's really nothing to argue with, but there is a point that I want to make at the end of it. So with all that being said, we are going to jump in and let David do what David do and let him talk about Jerusalem and this area and Christ in context is the title of this video. So let's go. Hey guys, so in the next few episodes, we're going to be talking about the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. But to help set the stage for some of these New Testament events, it is really helpful to have a basic understanding of the world that Jesus is going to be born into. In this episode, we're going to familiarize ourselves with the geography of the New Testament Palestine area and some of the political history of this region as well. Let's do it. Okay, let's do it. Alright, so when Jesus is born, the Holy Land was ultimately under the power of the Roman Empire. But Rome allowed the Kingdom of Judea to be ruled directly by a practicing Jew known as Herod the Great. Herod was kind of a mixed bag. He built some great things like the Temple of Herod in Jerusalem and the port city Caesarea, but he wasn't well liked by the Jews, partially because of his affiliation with Rome and his Idumean heritage. They didn't consider him Jewish enough. He's also known for executing his favorite wife, a few of his sons, and in the Bible for ordering the killing of all male children under the age of two in Bethlehem. To escape the slaughter in Bethlehem, the Gospel of Matthew reports that Joseph and Mary took Jesus and fled to Egypt. Herod the Great died while Jesus was still very young. After Herod's death, the ruling of the kingdom, as per Herod's request, was divided among three of his sons. Herod Archelaus ruled the largest chunk of land, ranging from the Idumea region through Judea and Samaria. Philip, known as Philip the Tetrarch, ruled the northeastern region, which included cities like Bethsaida and Caesarea Philippi. Herod Antipas ruled the regions of Galilee and Perea, which included cities like Nazareth, Capernaum, and Cana. Also, as a fun fact, the Sea of Galilee is not really a sea. It's a freshwater lake about the size of Washington, D.C. And then, for the sake of filling in this map, you had the Greek Gentile region called Decapolis. Remember when Jesus sends a bunch of demons into a herd of swine? That happens on the Decapolis side of the Sea of Galilee. The man that was healed departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. Reading the Bible with a map of the Palestine area in hand can be really helpful. If you're a Latter-day Saint, check the back of your Bible for some of these helpful maps. But anyway, back to Herod's successors. Herod the Great's son, Archelaus, was not a popular ruler among the Jews. In the Gospel of Matthew, when Christ's family returns from Egypt, we read, but when he, Joseph, heard that Archelaus did rule in Judea in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither. 
he turned aside into the parts of Galilee, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth. Remember, even though the region of Galilee was part of this kingdom, it was ruled by Herod Antipas, not Archelaus. In 6 AD, Archelaus was deposed by Rome and banished. His land was made an official Roman province and came under the rule of a Roman prefect. Fun fact, the Roman prefect in charge towards the end of Christ's life was none other than Pontius Pilate. Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves. So Archelaus is banished, but we've still got Herod Antipas and Philip the Tetrarch ruling parts of the kingdom. Now, Herod the Great's family tree can get a little bit confusing sometimes, but bear with me. Philip the Tetrarch had a half-brother, literally a brother from another mother, named Herod Philip. Herod Philip married his half-niece Herodias, and together they had a daughter named Salome. Eventually, Herodias decides she's done with Herod Philip and wants to marry his half-brother, her half-brother-in-law, Herod Antipas, ruler of Galilee and Perea. So they divorce their spouses and get hitched. This marriage causes quite the stir as it violated the law of Moses, and Herod Antipas gets called out by a guy named John the Baptist. John the Baptist is arrested and, according to the historian Josephus, is held in the fortress of Machiris in the Perea region. You know the rest of the story. Salome dances before her stepfather, and Herod Antipas promises to give her whatever she wants. At her mother's urging, she requests the head of John the Baptist. Fun fact, Salome later marries her half-uncle, Philip the Tetrarch. Later, when Herod Antipas hears about the miracles of Jesus, he gets a little freaked out that Jesus might be the resurrected John the Baptist. The Pharisees tell Jesus, depart hence, for Herod, referring to Herod Antipas, will kill thee. Of course, Jesus doesn't care in the slightest. In the Bible, you'll notice that Jesus does a lot of traveling between Galilee and Judea. According to Google Maps, it takes about 35 hours to walk from Capernaum to Jerusalem. But right smack dab in the middle of these two regions is Samaria. When making these trips, the Jews would often substantially lengthen their journey by crossing and traveling along the other side of the Jordan River just to avoid the Samaritans. They did not get along. Why? 700 years before Christ, this Samaria region, then known as the Northern Kingdom of Israel, was conquered by the Assyrians. Most of the Israelites were taken captive into Assyria, and the region was repopulated with Assyrians, who intermarried with the sparse remaining Israelites. This was a violation of the Law of Moses because the Assyrians were Gentiles, and Israelites were not supposed to marry Gentiles. The posterity of these unlawful relationships would be known as Samaritans. Essentially, the Jews viewed the Samaritans as mudbloods. It's disgusting. So there's some background on the world Jesus is born into. We've barely scratched the surface. In our next episode, we're going to flesh out some additional things you're going to want to understand when reading about Jesus. We're going to talk about Pharisees and Sadducees and Sanhedrin and Caiaphas and Zealots and all that good stuff. But if you want to learn more about the stuff we've talked about today, check out the resources in the YouTube description. Watch another video or two on our channel while you're here. We'll see you next time. Have a great day. All right. So <clears throat> there's that. And it's just a lot of history. I'm not going to argue with it. I'm not, you know, I'm not a historian. I don't know how many of those facts about Herod Antipas and everything are, are factual or not. I'm taking him at his word that he did the research and all this is real. It's all true, right? One of my big problems with Mormonism is these guys don't always tell the truth. They fabricate things to make it all convenient for them. So, 
Once again, I'm just going to give the disclaimer. I didn't look into any of that stuff, so I'm taking it at face value that he did the research and it's all true. Here's the thing. You can give all the correct history that you want. You can use all the accurate places and timelines and stuff. I'm still a little curious as to why they choose to use the BCE um, and CE, Common Era, Before Common Era, which is just a, you know, it's a acquiescence to the um, secular world that doesn't want to have Before Christ and Anadomini, uh, Year of Our Lord, Anodomini, Anodomini, however you want to pronounce it. I'm not Latin. I'm uh, not uh, Roman or anything like that. So, uh, that that was one thing that I, I actually, I don't know if they'd done that for a while, but I hadn't noticed it in anything else they did where they used the BC and BCE, um, or CE and BCE. So, but here's the thing. You can give all the accurate geography and history. When you plug in a false Jesus, it's still fiction. So, take... Uh, what is the name? I can't think of the name of the, the Da Vinci Code, right? The Da Vinci Code. Dan Brown uh, takes and he and he he puts at the beginning of the book that all the geography and history and all this stuff is factual. So supposedly, you know, the Priory of Zion and all this other, you know, Jesus and having baby, but he inserts a false Christ into his story. And then we know that Robert Langdon and, and the other characters are not real. We look at other movies that have been set during different times. I mean, The Avengers. New York is a real place. Uh, the years that it all happens are real. Um, all this stuff, but we know that none of this actually happened um, because it's all fiction. The Jesus that Mormons teach is fiction. He is a fictional character. He is not the Jesus that is revealed by the Bible. And I know the Mormons are like, no, we use this. And that's, that's where this is going to lead. I'm pretty sure that this is all leading to the uh, them trying to go, look, we worship the same Jesus that walked through this historical place in, in Jerusalem and dealt with Herod, Antipas, and, and all these other people and all this stuff. This is the Jesus we believe in. But... There are core facts about the Jesus that is taught in Mormonism that are incorrect, that are not biblical, that are heretical. The fact that the Jesus of Mormonism is a created being. He's not eternal. He is not from everlasting to everlasting. He is not the Alpha and the Omega. There is a God before Elohim, the God of Mormonism. There is a God before him and before him and before him. The The Holy Spirit is not God. It's just a disembodied uh, spiritual offspring of Elohim, which is so is Jesus and Lucifer and all the rest of us. We're all Elohim spiritual children, and we've got a spiritual grandfather and great grandfather and blah 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 blah. All the things that the Bible says are absolutely untrue. God says, you know, through Isaiah in the Old Testament, besides me there is no God. I know not one formed, nor will there be one formed after me. Beside me there is no God. Before me there is none. After me, 
Jesus makes the, the explicit statement that he is eternal as well when he's dealing with the Pharisees and he says to them, he says, you know, that he says, you know, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And they're like, dude, they're like, dude, you're not even 50. How do you know Abraham? And he says, verily, I tell you the truth before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is making an eternal existence claim right there. Jesus also says that there's no pre-existence because he says that I can't remember the exact chapter or verse, but he says, no one has descended except the one who has ascended. He's saying that nobody existed in heaven before except for one person, and that's him, that's Jesus. And no one has come down from heaven to be a human except for the one that is now ascending into heaven, which is him. Jesus makes that explicit statement. But Mormon doctrine and Mormon theology calls Jesus a liar, the Jesus of the Bible, and they inject, in, insert their own Jesus. If I wanted to make videos like they do with little, you know, cutesy little clips, I would insert, you know, Adam Savage from Mythbusters saying, I reject your reality and enter my own abstract something or other. I totally screwed that up, but... The reality is, is no matter how much history David can portray to you, no matter how much of this geography and history and dates and maps and this and that, can it make the Jesus that they have presented to you real? Because he's not. He is not the same Jesus of the Bible. He is not the same Jesus that walked the land of, of Galilee and Judea and these areas that was uh, you know, hidden away in Egypt with his parents. He is not the same Jesus. The Mormonism, the Jesus of Mormonism and the Jesus of the Bible are diametrically opposed. One is the creator of all things. One is a created being through a sexual relationship of Elohim and one of his if not the only one, but one of, you know, most people think there's many spiritual wives. I'm not going to get into that, whether or not that's true, but it's pretty obvious based on their teaching. So Jesus is a created being. He's not the creator of all things. He's not co-eternal with, with God the Father. He came after God the Father, who is not even eternal. He came from his Father and who came from his Father. And they don't have a, 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 a starting point. They don't have one. It's just on and on and on, back and back and back and back and back, without a realistic beginning point. And if that were, if they could find one, then we would say that is God. But again, it's it's a a, a heretical teaching that God had a father who had a father who had a father who had a father, and mothers and and siblings and all these other things. Nowhere do we find that in the Bible. The only place we find that is in the heretical teachings of Joseph Smith given to the LDS Church. And so when he tries to do all this stuff, I mean, it, it's all just smoke and mirrors. It's the same deception that was given years ago by Joseph when he was you know, deceiving people into thinking that polygamy was God's uh, will for him and other leaders of the LDS church, even to the point of taking the wives of living men within the church. I mean, if that's not cult-like behavior, I mean, that's like David Koresh, Jim Jones kind of stuff, to say, God has told me that he wants me to be sealed to your wife. Right? I mean, it's, it's David sending Uriah off to be killed. Because he slept with uh, 
is why Bathsheba and got her pregnant or not Bathsheba. Um, yeah, got her pregnant and then was like, oh, no, I messed up. Now I got to kill this dude. I mean, Joseph Smith, I mean, he didn't, I don't know if he sent people off to die, but he sent people off on missions to other countries so he could take their wives. Again, so the deception thing has been an ongoing thing in Mormonism from the beginning. It's part of the reason why I left, you know, because I had been deceived. I found out that all these things were false. No, nobody offended me. No, I didn't want to go live in some unrepentant sin or whatever else like that. I mean, I went from that to a a far more, uh, I don't want to say legalistic because it's not, but strict following of God's law. Right as a as a believer, as someone who is saved, I desire to keep God's law. I'm not saved by the fact that I keep God's law, but because I am saved, it caused me to desire that. So it's still a a, a very strict following of of Jesus and so on. So it's not like I wanted to go sin, you know. I mean, yeah, I I do like my coffee, but that's not why I left Mormonism. It's because all of this stuff can be proven to be false. And the deception that lies underneath it. And that's why they have these podcasts even now. Because it's all of a matter of going, okay, we can't hide this stuff anymore. So now we have to do damage control. So we have to bring on these these young guys like this who are able to make these uh, witty videos and stuff like that. And try to sweep it all under the rug. Which can't be done either. So again, my, my... my challenge is, my charge is to my LDS friend, get out. Get out. Run. This is a false religion following a false god, a false prophet, a false Christ, who Jesus said would come. He said there will be false Christ. Don't, don't get it mixed up to say, oh, there's only one Jesus and we all just... No, Jesus himself. If you care saying there's not false Jesuses, then you're calling again, calling Jesus a liar because he said they would come. So you're, you're in a religion that is, is serving a false prophet, uh, following a false doctrine, teaching a false gospel, given by a false Christ and a false God. It's all wrong, and nowhere can they offer you salvation. And to my Christian friend, as always, preach the gospel at all times, use words, they're necessary. Until next time, Soli Deo Gloria.